Hey guys, Tucker here, co-host of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let you know that we're currently looking for more projects. So for any of you guys that listen to the show that may be an agent or otherwise that have a property that you're looking to sell, we'd love to hear from you. Obviously, we're looking to purchase properties that are maybe not best suited for the retail market or maybe they need to be redeveloped. So we do renovations and we do new construction so we could buy an existing home that maybe it smells like cigarette smoke, maybe it hasn't been updated in decades, maybe it's got some fun functional issues, some problems like that, or maybe it's just in an area that is best suited to take the house down, partition the lot, maybe build a couple new homes, or just build one new home in its place, and anything in between. So if you guys out there in Listenerland have anything that would be best suited selling to a development company like ours, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com, and when you go there, there's a contact us tab. Click on that, and you can send us a message, and we'll get back to you shortly thereafter. We'd love to hear from any of you guys out there that have a property like this, and hopefully we we can do a deal together. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is episode 76 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're back this week. We've got another best of masters. We've got our man Joe back, but before we bring him on, what's happening, Steve-O? Hey, good to be back on the show. Good to have Joe here, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, ready to hit the airwaves with us. Hey, Joe. Hey, guys. How are you? Very good. We got some cool topics this week. We, we haven't done a show in a couple of weeks, so I guess we need to apologize to our audience, but it's a little busy on my front. I know, Steve, you're probably busy as a one-legged guy in a butt-kicking contest as well, <laughs> and I know you guys are adding agents like crazy, so, you know, there's just a lot going on, right? I love the, the innuendos and the analogies, Tucker. Very original. Good one. Yeah, Good one. I went with the not swearing approach, so hopefully it's more family friendly. So, <laughs> Why don't we jump into some topics here that we're going to talk about. I'll let you kick it off, Steve, and then we can see what, what it is we're going to discuss this week on Best of Masters. Cool. So I was kind of fishing through the, the Masters threads here earlier today and came up with a few of these that we all kind of agreed on. The first one was posted November 10th, so just, just recently, and it got quite a bit of dialogue in it. It was posted by Tara Bollinger. It asked the question, thoughts on telling sellers they should list over the holidays instead of waiting till spring because there's less inventory and more serious buyers. This feels disingenuous to me. Do you all have lots of luck with your November and December listings? Joe, take it away. Okay, so the should I list during the holidays or not conversation comes up a ton of times. And, you know, first and foremost, you know, life does not slow down to perfect real estate markets. If you're needing to list your house, it, it life won't slow down till it's the peak of the market and a seller's market and you're going to benefit. People have to sell constantly. So that being said, sometimes that happens during the holidays and you have benefits, right? The house is decorated, you have twinkly lights, it smells like cinnamon, there's hot toddies being passed around. You know, December and January typically 
are the top relocation months when big companies reload people. So if you have a house kind of in the 600 on up, that might not be a, a bad time to go on the market. And you got to look at it both ways. Everyone talks about, gee, the people that, that sell in December are over a barrel and they really need to sell because they're, it's raining and you have people tracking in mud and, and it doesn't show as well and the yard looks like hell. Well, guess what? I mean, there's people out there trudging around in the rain and it's pitch black at 5 p.m. looking at houses. They're not doing that to see, you know, how good your oatmeal raisin cookie is. I mean, they want to buy a house. So I can see both sides. I think if the time is right and you want to sell, put it on the market during the holidays, you're going to have success if you have a good marketing campaign and a, and a reasonable price. And I don't see any advantage or disadvantage than you have in April. So those are my two cents. Steve, what do you yeah. think? No, I mean, we're exactly on the same page, Joe. You know, I always tell clients, look, it's six one way, half dozen the other. In the spring, are there more buyers? Absolutely. But guess what else there is more of? More listings. So in the fall and holiday season, holidays season, mind you, November and December, there is a lower tolerance by sellers to be on the market then. Most people don't want their Christmas tree, you know, on display to you know people tromping through the house looking to purchase so there is just there's just a a lower number of homes on the market so for those fewer homes just like you said joe i mean life happens year round there are people that have reasons to buy every month of the year regardless of the season and so for those people who can tolerate being on the market during the holidays they have an advantage because there's a lot who who can't. So I've had personally, I've had some of my best months in December and November. In fact, November of this year is one of my better months. My experience is is usually January tends to be a little lighter because those are the the, the transactions that originated in December. But December's are really really strong. I've had some really good December's. I've had some really good November's. So there may be a little tiny blip between you know mid-December and early January where there's a real decrease in activity, but I will tell you that it quickly picks back up. One of my favorite times of the year to list historically has always been early February, and that's kind of where you start to see the buyers come out in full force, but the listings haven't followed suit yet, and they're still pretty light. So I've, I've noticed that is a really good window to be listed in is usually what I say is right after the Super Bowl and before spring, because in spring, all of a sudden come, you know, March, April, the listings just start coming out like crazy. The only other thing I would add is just from a, you know, objective standpoint. Yeah, homes do typically and especially yards do look better in the spring and summer and i do get that i mean there is that argument sometimes you'll have those properties where you know especially waterfront properties but even ones with nice yards with flowers i get the advantage of of having the sun shining and and you know birds chirping and the grass green there is that element and that's hard to compete with in the winter time but there was a comment or two that said you know you can make a home look cozy in the winter time and so there's ways to address that but 
what some of the best comments I saw in here, guys, was just when where they said, you know, what does your seller need to do to to answer this carte blanche like without taking the seller situation into account? Just isn't the way to go. I mean, start with what is going on in the seller's world, and then work from there, knowing that there is advantages to both ways. Tucker, what do you think? I know you kind of avoid the holidays. With yeah, your, I mean, right? you know, the reality is houses sell at all times, right? I mean, that that's the reality. I, I look at it from a completely financial perspective. And I from what we have seen over many years of data now, if you want to sell your house in about the same amount of time as you would in any other time of year, that's like right around the holidays versus the rest of the time of year, usually you're looking at about a 5% difference in sale price if you want to move it quickly around those times. That That's what we've found over many years of kind of testing this. So we generally, if it makes more sense, we won't list between after Thanksgiving and before Christmas. That's kind of for us is, is a little bit of a dead time. Maybe not dead, but if we want to move it, Generally, it's going to be about a 5% adjustment off of what we would price it in January in order to get it moved, or that's generally where it would settle at as far as an accepted offer. So, you know, it, it just depends on your pricing strategy, what kind of property you're selling. You know, if we've got a brand new construction home that there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, it's a beautiful house and it should sell for 100 cents on the dollar, then, you know, maybe we wait until January to list that. But if it's a home that, you know, is a tremendous value for whatever reason, then we'll go ahead and list it whenever because tremendous value is a tremendous value, right? So, that's kind of how we look at it. I mean, there's definitely less traffic, but there's definitely less listings too, you know? So, and like Joe said, you know, people get transferred around that time. And, you know, if you've got kind of the upper echelon type housing, those types of people are looking during that time and, and maybe your house fits the bill. So I guess it just depends on the type of product you're listing and the type of pricing that you're going after. I think if you're, if you're going to list it at like super hopeful list price between now and Christmas, like probably not the best idea because you're just going to get stale and you're going to end up having to do a price reduction after the holidays is my guess. But if you price it, you know, pretty reasonably or too aggressively and it's a pretty turnkey product, then, you know, it very well may sell during that time period. So that's, that's been my experience. One other thing I'll, I'll add to this, guys, this is just kind of in general. I think it's an unhealthy mindset for an agent to, and Tara kind of alluded to this in her question, it's an unhealthy mindset to assume that there are bad times of year and that you're always going to do bad at those times of the year and there's just nothing you can do about it and you just better close up shop and take a vacation for two months. The same would apply to a housing market too, right? I mean, you know, that would be kind of like that mindset, like, oh, we're going into a bad housing market. I guess I'm going to business is going to stink for the next few months. As agents, we have to be the best agents are optimists. They're people that are that, that are constantly saying, regardless of what happened yesterday, we're going to do better today. We're going to find that buyer today. This is a good time to do things. Let's find the best way to, to navigate where we are today. So I would just caution agents to, you know, do look for that glass half full situation in those time periods. We can't just be a seasonal business and shut down for two, three months. I mean, that's that's just not going to be a great strategy for, for your business. So, cool. Joe, you want to tee off the next one? You got it yeah. in front of you there? Yeah, are we doing the tax one or the coming soon? Yeah, do the tax one. Let's jump into the controversy here. Let's, let's, talk, let's talk turkey, huh? <laughs> yeah, so... I'm actually not going to read it, and I'll tell you why. This thing was a little bit of a, a circus with yeah, uh, false news being posted at the very beginning. It was Legion Anders' perception of the tax reform, and then he just got flamed in all the comments. 
And then he went back and edited what he wrote, and then other people edited what they wrote so they wouldn't look like the jerks landing on them. <laughs> so, you know, anytime you talk about politics, religion, human rights, I mean, it's lighting the powder keg and running away. And if you're smart, some people light the powder keg and they stick around to see what happens and participate. My understanding of this is the proposed administration wants to have a, a tax mandate on mortgages over 500000 So if you have a house for a million bucks, you owe 800000 on a loan, you can take tax write-offs up to 500000 and you cannot take the tax write-offs between five and eight, the extra 300000 So you don't get those write-offs. What's unclear is does this apply to second mortgages and HELOCs? Is that going to come into play because someone needs a, a $600,000 loan, so they get a, a first for $500,000 and a, and a second for $100,000? Is that buck in the system? We don't know because I don't really know the ins and outs of it. I kind of got the sense that when Legion started this, it was the rich benefit and you know, the middle class and, and poor kind of suffer. Mm -hmm. And I think the opposite is true, because if you look at the percentages of people that have a mortgage of 500000 or more is very, very slim. And it's those people that hold that are the people that are not going to get the tax benefits. So, and this is only on primary residences. So I don't quite understand. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm an expert on this because I'm not. I'm just going to kind of sit back and soak it all in. And, and this thing was so full of subjective baloney and finger pointing and name calling and my side is great and here's why and your side sucks and here's why. I just, you know, honestly, I didn't read all the remarks on this one. I don't have the, the bandwidth to soak in more you didn't Stop. want to play with the powder keg, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's you know yeah, you can was... have that one. I'm gonna tap out and watch from my bulletproof <laughs> bunker over here. <laughs> Let me jump in here, Steve, if you don't mind, and I'll kind of break it down for what where we're at today, right? Because we had the first plan, we've got the kind of ways and means secondary plan. Honestly, I don't know that this thing's gonna make it to law. I think that there's just too much turmoil in our political system for this to really at least in the next few months. Hopefully it's not retroactive and it, you know, it gets put forward. But here's what we're dealing with. And I just want to talk about the real estate stuff because we could rabbit hole all day long about the rest of it. And this is not political at all. I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, Libertarian. This is just purely from an economics point of view. And I got an econ major and I'm a business owner. So I figure that gives me enough right to discuss this. So as Joe was saying, basically the initial proposal was if you buy a house for 800000 you take a loan for 600 any interest that you pay, and this is your primary residence, of course, any interest paid on that $600,000 loan above the $500,000 mark is not tax deductible. The caveat was is that if you have an existing loan in place at the time that this becomes law, it's grandfathered in and you still get the full deduction on it, which is an interesting thing, especially as we'll couple that with the primary residence exclusion moving forward. because. Now you've got people that we'll call them middle, upper middle class or so that have bigger mortgages, bigger houses, and they've got full tax deductibility if they stick around. 
which is could factor into inventory levels moving forward, I think. It could also factor into desirability of taking bigger mortgages as we move forward for those kind of upper echelon type houses. Now, the, the new plan that came out from the Senate, they wanted to raise it back up to a million, which is where it's at now. So if you buy a million dollar home, you take an $800,000 mortgage, you can get full tax deductibility of that interest, even if you 100% financed it and you, and you took a million dollar mortgage for a million dollar home, which most people don't do, but you could in theory, right? So that's kind of what's on the table now. They've gone back and forth. The few things that haven't changed is property taxes. You can only deduct up to $10,000 a year in your property taxes, which most people don't have 10 grand a year in property taxes. But I can tell you this, there's a lot more houses that have 10 grand a year plus in property taxes now than there was before because we've had bond measure after bond measure ramrodded down our throats and we're evil human beings if we don't want to support the schools because they can't manage their damn money properly, right? So that gets pushed into play. There was a huge article on the front page of Lake Oswego Review. Property taxes jumped by 10% and now everybody's up in arms, right? Well, guess what happens when you vote for bond measures, people? Your property taxes go up hugely. So now everybody's crying about it. So it's Joe's got a, a yeah. Lighting the powder keg. That's right. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Uh, we're not all going to be middle of the road, right? Just showing us a lighter. I can have an opinion. Well, it's true. You know, the, the reality and, and, you know, my opinion about whether or not you should vote for bond measures or not is irrelevant. The point is, is that there's a lot of properties that now have, you know, way more than $10,000 a year in property taxes. And so you're limited on your tax deductibility that how will that factor into those types of houses selling on the retail market? Well, I got to figure it does to some extent, you know, my property taxes on my house are really high. And, you know, I think the next buyer that comes in is probably going to look at that if this goes through and be like, well, I only get 10,000 of this as a deduction. The other, whatever is not deductible maybe it factors in, right? I mean, that's that's definitely something to think about. Now, the biggest problem that I have with the proposal, and it doesn't seem that the National Association of Realtors or the Home Builders Association is taking much issue with, is the primary residence exclusion. And this hasn't changed from the House or the Senate version, which is currently you can live in a property for two or five years, and then you can sell that property and you can take those gains tax-free. They want to basically overnight change that from two to five years or two of the last five years to five of the last eight years, which I think is a bunch. Yeah. And I think it's a bunch of bullshit, to be honest with you, because you've got people that have planned on selling their home. Right. It goes back to the conversation we just had about should I list during the holidays? No, I'm going to wait until January or after the holidays. And they've got these plans in motion. It's going to be their primary residence. Maybe they've lived there three and a half, four years like I have. They had planned on selling it. It's a nice tax free gain. Well, now all of a sudden that may not be a tax free gain. On top of that, or at least over a certain point, right? But there's another caveat to that, which I think is completely wrong. And that is the fact that if you make over $250,000 as an individual, you start to phase out your ability to take any of those gains tax-free. So, and it's 500000 as a married couple, which obviously is a big number, but there's a lot of people individually that make 250000 that file, you know, separately. So I just think there's a lot of things here that unfortunately were never discussed previously in terms of like, here's what, you know, we want to give people tax cuts. Nobody mentioned anything about taking a big fat, you know, you know what on the real estate aspect of this. And it just came out and all of a sudden it's like, well, we're going to take money from real estate deductions and we're going to give it back over here, which I don't really think accomplishes as much as maybe we were led to believe. You know, it's just shifting the blame of who's going to pay for what to some extent. And and they, I understand why they have to do it, because we've got such an ungodly huge debt that you can't pass something that has, you know, significantly less tax revenue because then everybody's going to scream, well, how are we going to pay the debt? Right. So I think that it's just unfortunate that, you know, they're taking a shot at the primary residence exclusion and also putting a cap on it in terms of the amount of income that you can earn 
before you know they start to phase it out on you. So those are my big issues with it, and those that's what's been proposed right now. And then changes again. We'll see if it ever comes to you know law. You know that's up for debate. But I don't know, Steve. What what do you think in terms of how this relates to real estate and the market moving forward? Yeah. So I mean, like we've all said, this is all speculative. Nothing. You know, the stock market yesterday was down quite a bit, and they were they were saying that was because. Wall Street, who would wants tax reform, was speculating, basically betting that this doesn't happen, that this year we don't get a tax bill passed. So it is a moving target. But like you said, Tucker, there was a great article in Inman, and it was titled Five Reasons Trump's Tax Plan is Bad News for Real Estate. And the writer of it was a business owner realtor. He owned a brokerage and he was a realtor from the East Coast. And he said, look, this isn't political. I'm just looking at it from my industry's vantage point and my client's vantage point. And he was just kind of bullet pointing what is wrong with it. One of the things that he kept bringing up was a word. It's not a word that we use a ton in our in our vocabulary, but the word was motility, which is means movement or think velocity of a market. Right. If you create laws that incentivize people to stay put, you hurt the housing market because we all make money, everybody in the business, when people move, when people do transactions. And there's a lot of people that make money. I mean, the economy, we we all learned in the downturn, housing is, by golly, the biggest, it's the biggest asset class in the country, trillions and trillions of dollars. So the real estate benefits, of course, the mortgage industry, the home building industry, Home Depot, you know, furniture, you, the list just goes on and on. So when you create laws that hurt the compulsion of people to make a move, then you are hurting the economy and you're hurting real estate for sure. Some of the things that you touched on that were in here was not only changing it from a million to half million for the mortgage interest rate deduction, that was the original proposal, but then grandfathering in the old people who still have the million dollar mortgage and saying, hey, you're cool there, but if you go buy a new house, you're not going to get that deduction. It's only going to be 500000 So how many people out there would suddenly go, well, I guess this house is fine, isn't it? And let's just stay put. So you're hurting, hurting the housing market there. It almost in some ways would be better if they said, okay, everybody across the board is now at a million dollars. I'm sorry, at half a million dollars mortgage deduction. If they did that, then at least it would be apples and apples and people would be go, okay, we've been talking about moving. We're, we're half a million deduction here. Let's just make that move and it's going to be the same there. That was one of the ways. The other way is what you talked about, Tucker, was changing from two out of five years to five out of eight years. I mean, that affects people's you know desire to move. And just a scenario, Steve, not to catch up, but let's say somebody is going to sell their house, right? They've got a $700,000 mortgage. They're selling it for a million bucks and they're, they're making 300 grand a year, right? And now all of a sudden they're like, well, why should I sell this place? I'm not going to, I may not get full tax deductibility. The next mortgage that's the same size. I've only lived there four years. So they're going to get me for, you know, that. And if I've lived there for five plus, I make over 250. So they're going to phase out my ability to take that money tax free. Maybe this house is fine. You know, that's yep. kind of the thought process, right? Yep. They also, in, in the original proposal, they it was small, but it's still something. They were eliminating moving expenses. There's currently a write-off for moving expenses. They did make second homes and vacation homes. They did affect the interest deduction on that. I think they took it completely away. 
Yeah, although Second the Senate version puts it, yeah. Senate yeah. version puts it back. But yeah, for argument's sake, yeah, they yep. they removed yep. it. So. And then the other thing that was interesting was the bill, while it really, really hurt home ownership, like primary residences, it didn't affect investments at all. And, and there was some questions about that. Like, why are we incentivizing and encouraging people to go out and invest in real estate, but not to own their primary residence? And how's that good for for the tax code and, and, and for, you know, home ownership in general? So there definitely was a lot in that first bill that came out that my fear was going to be almost like a nail in the coffin of real estate, right? We all know that we've had a six-year run of good housing. We all know it seems to be showing, you know, losing a little bit of steam and it's showing signs of normalcy or or, or, or turn. Last thing we need is a, a tax bill that comes out that just clamps the brakes on everybody and suddenly we have everybody incentivized to stay put. That could be really hard on the housing market. So, Let's hope that they, you know, it sounds like there's some debates going on and things are moving a little bit back in the direction of some of these these components. So it'll be interesting to watch for sure. But I, I think you make a good point with, you know, we've been on a long run, right? Party's been going on for a while. I just feel like the cops don't need to bust the party when the party's dispersing already, right? Like that, <laughs> like why hand out MIPs when the party's, oh, you know, on its way to kind of thinning out, right? Yeah. Like just. I don't see what the point of that is, but you know, obviously we got to pay for this country and that's the point of why it's in there. So anyway. Yeah. It has some benefits for business owners, which all three of us are. I mean, you know, they're, but that was the point of this article. It was like, look, unfortunately for us three, our businesses are real estate based. So while we might gain some tax benefits for, you know, for pass through income, et cetera, and the, the tax brackets, that income is going to be affected if it affects real estate. So Yeah, and yeah. just not to rabbit hole too much, but it's really not going to affect all of us all that much. Our tax brackets, the you know, the first version came out with four brackets, second one came out with seven. Who knows what the hell it'll actually be. But the Senate's version, we get like a one percent reduction in the top bracket. Woohoo, you know, that's awesome. But you know, beyond that, most of us are set up as a you know, an LLC that's taxed as an S Corp, right? So in that particular case, the big corporate tax break doesn't affect those of us in real estate, and which is most of us that are set up that way, because we only get 30% of that income to be taxed at the new corporate tax rate. So 30% of your total income, the 70% flows through and you're taxed at your normal income tax rate. So if you're still a high income earner, you really don't get that much benefit from it. So and especially if we're in real estate and that's how our corporate setup is, it's not as advantageous on one side as people might think, you know, based on what you're giving up on the other. So it might have people changing their corporate setup though, right? Well, yeah. So then what's, you know, now we're, now it's a boom and changing corporate setup. I mean, people are going to dodge taxes, right? That's the way the world goes, but it's like, why create laws? So then people, you know, jump over this hoop instead of staying where they are. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, no, it's, I get it. I get it. Cool. Let's go on to the last one guys. I'll tee this one off. So this one was a big, big change announced. I actually heard it from one of our agents who was on the committee. It is about RMLS, the coming soon component. Basically, what they did here was they posted RMLS's release that coming soon is coming soon feature for RMLS. There wasn't a lot to read here, but I'll kind of I'll kind of lay out what what it does. Is so basically in the future when you list a property, from what I understand, you will have three options. You're immediately listing it and it's active right away. You're listing it as a coming soon where 
you will put it in RMLS as a coming soon, which will be kind of like a withdrawn status. That does not go out to consumers. The only people that can see it are agents. So kind of like we would search withdrawn to see what's out there that is in contract but not currently active. You would have a feature where you could do that. So if I was like looking Lake Oswego, Tucker, and I've got you know somebody saying, hey, I'm looking five to seven hundred thousand in Lake Oswego, I could put put in coming soon. I could put in those parameters, and all of a sudden I'd see three, four houses as an agent. In that model, the consumer can never see those. The only way the consumer can see that is the signpost on the street and a flyer in the flyer box. No digital marketing can be out there. Zillow coming soon will effectively become a ghost town in Portland. Craigslist ads for an upcoming open house will no longer be allowed until you're live. That's the second option. And then the third option is just a complete pocket listing where you aren't going to list at all. You are able to to show it. And, and basically your client said, I never want to be in the MLS. And they put a little bit of a stipulation there that if you go that direction, once you terminate that or it ends for 30 days, you can't go into the MLS. So they did that so that people don't say, hey, I'm a pocket listing for two weeks. I'm going to put it on as a coming soon or, you know, I'm going to advertise it myself. And then suddenly those two weeks in, they're like, okay, that didn't work. Let me go ahead and take it live. No, now they'd have to wait 30 days after that. So they've thought this through in many, many different ways. It's a monster, monster change. Joe, I'm going to I'm gonna let you take over and tell me your thoughts, what you're hearing, what you saw in the posts on Masters. It got posted at the same time. There were the same topic got posted within hours of each other. One was mine saying RMLS adapts coming soon listings, and the other one was, I think, Barbara Roach. So it's really kind of divided that, you know, I have a bunch of comments on mine, and she has a bunch of comments on hers. And, you know, I glanced through it. I have a pretty good handle of the coming soon. There's two key points to coming soon. First main point is you need to maintain control of your own business. You need to maintain control of your listing. You got to run your business, not let your business run you. So coming soon isn't the answer to everyone's prayers. It's it's not the demon either, but we got to look at the advantages of a coming soon. Um, You potentially get to start advertising early. You're off the clock. So the days on market aren't ticking off. Sometimes there's scenarios where you have an elderly person or someone is trying to move out in the last two weeks or they work graveyard shift or whatever, or they have some timelines where they really need a sale quickly, but it's not absolutely perfect for the market. It's not a showcase. Other advantages would be, you know, waiting on just some finish work before you want the general public to come in and And the other thing is sometimes if it's early enough, buyers could maybe pick their colors and tiles and carpet and materials if it's really at the beginning stage. So those are all benefits. The drawbacks are, well, first of all, I'm not a big dual agency person, right? If you look at 70% of all complaints to the real estate commissioner is wearing too many hats, representing the seller and the buyer, or you're the seller and the owner, or heaven forbid, all three. Any moment someone feels like they're not getting, you know, they're getting less than stellar treatment, they can wave the foul play flag. And then it's you're guilty until proven innocent is how they kind of treat it. 
So you need to maintain control of your of your listing. If you feel that a coming soon fits in one of those benefits, then God love you, throw it out there. But I would prepare to have a lockbox with a CBS code because there's brokers out there. I don't care if it's coming soon or not. There's I see a lockbox on the door. I'm opening the damn thing and going through it because at the end of the day, I'm going to sell it to my buyer. I'm going to, you know, send Joe a bottle of wine. He'll get over it. But <laughs> my buyer just got this $800,000 house. So there you go. So I would definitely control access. I would consider if coming soon is the the best thing for you. Also, you need to control that barrier between cutthroat realtors and your seller, right? I guarantee you we're self-employed. We're self-starters. We're motivated. You see it coming soon. Your seller is going to get badgered by every broker who has an extreme demand to get someone in there. And they're going to knock on the door and they're going to walk around the backyard and see if there's windows open. They're going to try and get access, even though it's coming soon and there's no showings for whatever, two weeks, they're going to try and get access. Finally, I think there's a perception with the negative stuff being posted about coming soon. A lot of brokers go straight to, you know, they go low. You want a coming soon listing because you want to double end it or you want to, you know, play favorites and pick who the selling agent is. They don't think that maybe there's a benefit to your sellers to have a coming soon listing. They think this guy's coming soon. He's going to try and snipe all the people in the area and list their houses. He's trying to snipe buyers. He's trying to double end it or have his buddy in the office sell it. I mean, that's kind of a bad default perception because I know there's some greasy brokers out there, but I don't think that should be the, the blanket rule. There are benefits to having a, a coming soon, but you damn well better control that listing. You better control access and you better buffer brokers from your seller. And then all of that being said collectively, even with the benefits, I don't know that much of a benefit at the end of the day. I mean, do I wait a week and have the professional photography and have it smell like vanilla and bright lights and a great, you know, photo tour? Is a week really that detrimental? Why don't I just launch it like always? Is this coming soon really going to add that much of a, you know, selling the sizzle, not the steak and making them feel like they got to jump in early? I don't think it's that powerful, and I think it's potentially more of a headache than anything because you have people looking in MLS, and now you got to look off market for coming soon listings that are available but not available to show, and and your buyers are going to want to get in. And so, you know, I would I have some calls out to some buddies that have this in their market already, and I'm just I'm curious how they're getting by. I haven't heard really any feedback, but usually what's good for one is good for another. So if they say they're having success in some circumstances, then I'm looking forward to it. But holistically, I'm not ambivalent on whether it's a benefit or a negative. When's it supposed to go into effect? Do we know? Early next year. I don't think they've given us a launch date, but they, I've been hearing they have to program 
make the program changes. It is an official thing that has passed, but now it's just a matter of the programming. And I, I'm hearing maybe February, somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah, you're all over the place, Joe. I, I was trying to figure out if you're for it or against it. You're smack I don't know. Down the middle and he, he got political on us. I don't know if he's for it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm talking both sides, and that's yeah. why I think there's compelling arguments on both sides. I totally agree. As usual, we're on the same page, Joe. I mean, I was kind of against it at first, but then, I mean, there is a lot of compelling reasons for both sides. One of the things I want to I want to make sure our listeners know, you cannot show any coming soon until it's live. That's another stipulation. Okay? So, if I sign a listing contract on Sunday, we're doing photos on Monday, I'm a coming soon in RMLS, Joe sees it, calls me up, says, "Hey Steve, I've got buyers in town. They leave on Thursday, when are you going live? If I say, hey, I can't go live till Friday because I'm doing some really cool marketing stuff and it's not going to be printed and ready. There is no way to accommodate Joe's buyers, okay? He cannot show it if we're following the rules anyway, which is kind of an interesting component because I'm going to just say when you make it really hard to follow rules, guess what people probably don't do? Follow the follow rules. The rule. so, yeah, I mean, so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out, but there's no doubt about it. Again, I'm with Joe. I think there's, you know, half dozen benefits here on this side to it, but then a half dozen things that are that are negative about it. It kind of ends up about neutral. What it does do is it does, and I have had, you know, I, I, I agree with you, Joe. You know, most of the agents out there are responsible and using coming soons, you know, in a, in a wholesome manner as a way to, you know, efficiently get their listing ready to go live without being ready to go live but there are some bad actors out there and i've i've bumped into them recently where they will just put their listing out there on zillow as a coming soon with their team ready to pounce on anybody that calls whether they have an agent or not and recently a client of mine she called me up she's like hey i'm in, i'm really into this house and oh by the way they're coming to my house to do a cma on it and see if the the seller would be open to a contingent offer well Fortunately, that client was pretty loyal to us, and I jumped right in and took over and said, nope, you don't need to do that. Cancel that appointment. We'll we'll get on it. And we ultimately are co-oping the deal with that agent. But, you know, as well as I, I know, that could have gone really bad the, the other way in that, you know, client wasn't that loyal to me. Suddenly they're like, oh, well, they only have this property. I really like it. They're saying maybe they'll take a contingent offer from me. Let me see if have them over talk about listing my house and they're in control of that other listing. This could all work very nicely. And there are teams that do very well abusing that process and that model. And this is what this is designed to do. They no longer can put that out to the public as a coming soon. They can show me the coming soon so I then can call up my buyer and go, hey, guess what's coming around the block from you in the area that you're looking? So that's a huge benefit. And then I cannot show it to my client until they go live. So I see that as benefits. But any way you slice it, this is a huge change. It's a monster change that is absolutely going to affect everybody across the spectrum. It's going to affect your systems. It's going to affect, I'm predicting right now, Joe, I think it affects what's the best day to go live. I've historically taken my listings live on Friday, sometimes afternoon, with the idea being, hey, I'm on Zillow as a coming soon on Wednesday. I'm advertising the open house on Zillow Wednesday and Thursday. You know, I'm on Craigslist advertising the open house on Wednesday. So by taking it live Friday, 
we've already created buzz around it, so we should have a good turnout of the open house. Now, if I'm taking this listing live Friday afternoon, it's not going out onto Zillow for 24 hours a lot of times, right, for the syndication to happen. It's also oftentimes RMLS takes a little while to push it out in the searches. So now all of a sudden, the masses are hearing about my open house Saturday, maybe late Friday or even early Saturday. And is that enough time for them to get ready to, to go to the open house? So it's definitely going to affect a lot of systems. It's going to affect a lot of online listings, how we bring them online. I don't think they're all terrible changes. I just think they're changes, and it's definitely going to affect us in a, in a lot of ways. There's a lot of unintended consequences, you know, like that out-of-town buyer who this was their only opportunity to see it. That'll be interesting to see. I think there's a lot of questions about what's going to be acceptable and what's not, too. Like, for example, say I go to my buddy's listing home today, and he goes, hey, I want you to list my house. And by the way, I'm not a good example of this because I'm not like a regular blogger on social media. I'm not, I don't use my Facebook like my journal, my everyday journal, photo journal, and everything oh, I do. Steve, but you should, you know. <laughs> <laughs> everything I do and everything I eat ends up as a picture on Facebook. But there are people like that. Are you allowed then, when you go to your buddy's house, to take a picture of it and go, excited for this listing? Or, or work, you know, getting ready to, where does the line begin that you're, you're now promoting and coming soon? Where does that start and where does, you know, just normal social media interaction stop? It'll also be interesting to see like, what are you allowed to email clients? So if I go look in the see a coming soon, I'm assuming I can email that to a buyer like, hey, Joe's got this listing coming soon, but can I put it on social media? I mean, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of details to figure out and it kind of feels to me a little bit, this is the last thing I'll say here, kind of feels to me a little bit like they're trying to put the genie in the bottle. They're trying to put the genie back in the bottle. They're saying, you know, we're all agreeing to fight technology together. RMLS is saying, okay, we don't like listings being seen by the public early on, which is a result of technology. Let's put that back in the bottle. And there's a part of me that just thinks that's problematic and challenging. And yeah, just it'll be interesting to watch it unfold. But I got a technical question for you, Steve. How long can it be a coming soon then before it has to transition to an actual listing? I think it's 21 days, isn't it, Joe? Didn't I don't know that there's a time limit on that. There there might be. I think I heard 21 days. If, if after 21 something. days it goes active or something happens, okay. there is a little bit of a limitation, but I could be oh, wrong. Yeah. And can uh, you put in pictures as a coming soon or does it have to be just a blank yeah. screen? Yep. Okay. No, you, you can have pictures. You okay. can have pictures. See, I could I could see this being used over the holidays, like we just talked about in the first, you know, topic. People being like, "Well, why don't we test the waters? We won't get days on market. People might call you. We can always flip it to active if we've got a real buyer." Like I could see that being a thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's got some positives. It's going to definitely promote co-oping more. You know, and it's going to make us look better. I mean, Joe, you you know as well as I, like w we hate being embarrassed when our client calls us and go and says, hey, I'm really interested in you know, 123 Main Street, and you're looking everywhere, and you cannot find 123 Main Street. It will change that. Now, they won't see it anywhere, hopefully, or they're going to be busted, and we will be the ones seeing it. And even if they did see it, even if they drove by 123 Main Street and said, hey, I saw, I saw a sign in this yard, I'm interested in it, we'd be able to go on RMLS, and we'd see it, and we'd know, we'd know the price, we'd know when it's coming on the market. So, it definitely is going to make us look like more of experts, and I, I'm all for that. I'm all for the the mutual co-oping and how it's going to foster 
working together amongst agents. I think in the days of, you know, Zillow and Redfin, depending on whose side of the argument you're on, trying to basically get rid of realtors, right? Let's let's go dark here. I think it's a good thing for RMLS because I think it adds a tremendous amount of value to you guys, ultimately, you know, yeah. because now you are, you know, back in the day, you used to be the ultimate gatekeepers before technology, right? And I think it, it brings an element of that back, you know, stuff that's not obvious to the layman, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know. It'll be interesting to see. It's going to be a big change. None of us fully understand how it's going to affect things. I think we're it's going to be a work in progress, and we're all going to be asking questions like, can I do this, or can I do that, or why did this happen, or oh my gosh, I hadn't even thought about how this would be affected. But I think, like Joe said, to sum it all up, I think Joe used the word ambivalent. I'm pretty neutral to this. I think there's going to be some pain in the butt changes to go through and some things to tweak and run differently but then there's going to be some benefits along the way as well so good synopsis i think overall it's a positive for you guys from an outside perspective but yes there will be some pain in the butt parts scenario so yeah so cool well hey i think we had pretty good topics as joe was doing in the camera i I lit the powder keg slightly on one of them but overall i think it was a pretty tame you know we, we towed the line and gave some good information on this episode so hopefully everybody enjoyed it any parting words of wisdom either of you two before we shove off until next time well tucker you saw me do the sign of the cross after the the tax one and a wise man told me if if you're ever taking a 20 minute nap like at work and someone your boss walks in on you just do the sign of the cross and say amen (laughs) (laughs) i'm guilty of it's a little warm in my office i i was nodding off a little bit but you know (laughs) the powder keg was lit so it's great to see you guys uh, get. i I hope our audience was a little more entertained by my rant than you were if you were falling asleep while we were chatting but we'll see i guess i didn't notice you falling asleep (laughs) okay well everybody have a great week good show Good show. All right, guys. See we'll, uh, we'll sign off. Thanks, guys. And see everybody out there in Listerland next week, maybe the week after. We've got a couple guests we're trying to line up. This should be great shows. So we'll see you guys then. Thanks again for listening to our show. And make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.